This is Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn practical strategies to drive consistent and predictable growth. In this episode, I got to chat with Mark Jung, VP of Marketing at Nextiva, to learn how he's driving predictable performance by building a brand media arm and setting up a new operating rhythm within his team. You'll learn how to find your brand's white space to help you differentiate and distinguish your brand from competition, a simple framework to make sure your team is tracking and sharing only the most important metrics at your company with the rest of the team, and a ton more. Honestly, that intro is just scratching the surface of what we talked about. If you want to learn how to build your brand, resonate with your audience, or set up a simple but effective reporting and goal tracking system at your company, you're really going to enjoy this episode. Mark, welcome to Metrics and Chill. Like I said, uh, this is one I've been excited about for a long time. I'm really glad we were able to connect. Thank you for being so generous with your time here. Excited to have you on. Yeah, thanks so much. As a uh, brand marketer at heart in my DNA, the title is great. And I think (laughs) too often when people think metrics, they think really technical, detail-oriented marketers. Uh, It's the same way one of my favorite memes is never trust a marketer with a PC and the same way never trust a CFO with a Mac. Uh, I love the title. I love how you're bringing it together and I'm excited to chat today. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fun. Uh, the the shout out to John Benini, who gets constantly praised for naming the show like a couple of years ago. So, um, all right. Awesome. So today we're going to be talking, you know, for listeners, we're going to be talking about um, bringing the best of startup culture into an enterprise org. We have a unique opportunity with you because you do have such extensive experience leading marketing and growth at a bunch of, you know, series A, B companies. And now you recently, you've been at Nextiva for three months now as VP of marketing. Um, You can talk a little bit more about that role. The way we typically start off is what, can you give like the 30 second pitch for Nextiva? Like who's your target customer? What pains are you solving for them? Yeah, absolutely. So the quick context is, uh, you know, I joined Nextiva at the end of January doing this episode now, first week of March. I'm like, very early, but it's been exciting. It's in that build phase. Um, Nextiva sort of full stop is in the business communications world. They are built for the 99% of businesses to tend to be less than 500 people. And the goal is to get amazing service and powering their conversations in one place. So if it comes to cloud phone systems, video, productivity internally, contact management, file sharing, anything that a business needs to communicate. Nextiva is a hub that makes it easier for businesses to focus on what matters most, which is their customers, right? That's what we do. That's in our DNA. And we support a lot of really interesting brands from Texas Roadhouse all the way to Taco Bell. So a lot of interesting things that we do in that upmarket segment as well. But our core DNA, um, our founder was came to America knowing only two words in English. He went from at 21, zero to a multimillionaire, exited his company, lost everything in a new one, and then rebuilt again from zero again in his early 20s to now. And oh next Eva, you know, one of the most successful companies in Arizona. So that underdog built by owners mindset is just what attracted me. And I'm, I'm super excited joining as sort of the VP of marketing. Can you kind of break down, because VP of marketing is broad. It means a lot of things at a lot of different companies. So what were the things that that you're responsible for that you're kind of looking to own in this role? Yeah, so the three core areas that I'm owning are all things brand, media arm and our media strategy. And I'll talk about what that means at next even how we're thinking about this. And then product-led growth from the go-to-market perspective. So those are kind of my three core hub areas and then doing a lot of 
Um, we essentially have two clear swim lanes between demand generation side of the house around capturing existing demand and creating demand. My role is demand creation. So we have sort of my counterpoint who's running all things, SEO, paid, demand gen programs, anything that fits within that bucket around capturing demand, his, and then mine again on the creation side. And we co-own things in between where there's overlap. So is it fair to say that demand creation is the goal of building the media arm? Is that what led to building the media arm there? Is the intention to like build demand for the brand or the category? Or how are you thinking about the media arm? Uh, a level above that. So okay. the customer journey starts before the customer journey. And if you want to take away one thing from this episode, it's that. When you look at brands that have one in their space, they're not thinking about how do I convince someone to buy our product? They're thinking about how do I convince someone that when they are ready to buy or in that position or referring a friend or talking about us, that we are the first ones that are top of mind. How do you connect with people around your story? your values, your beliefs, what you stand for? How do you create like that rallying cry that becomes your differentiator in the market where you are positioned as different, not better? When you look at two great examples, and this is one of my favorites, you look at Chorus or Gong. They were both in the sales intelligence space. Call recording was like the very feature level, like technical version of what they were doing, helping people and companies listen to calls and make better decisions based on that intelligence. Look at about a year and a half ago when Chorus was acquired for a few hundred million and Gong's on track to do a multi-billion dollar IPO in a few years when the market's in better shape. The difference was that Gong focused on their brand strategy. And at the end of the day, like it's how you make people feel and what they think of when they see you, not hey, our product does A, B, and C, it is X percent better. And if anyone wants to go deeper on like the product marketing side of things, there's an amazing book series called Play Bigger. Um, highly recommend it. It really maps out the difference and some of the metrics behind the top Fortune 50 of the Fortune 500 and what percentage have a significantly better financial position because they focused on being a category leader and being different and not better. Fascinating read um, and another one to go really deep on, but that would be sort of the short version on my side. Okay, awesome. How early do you think, is it possible to be too early to building that, like to focusing on the on the brand building action and some like telling the story associating, um, some, making sure that people associate values or emotions with your brand. Is there like a too early that you could focus on that and would be a waste or is like early the advantage there? What do you, how do you think about that? So again, as another, uh, my favorite answer from SEOs is the answer is always, it depends. And again, this, <laughs> in this scenario, it also depends the maturity of the space that you're in, the maturity of your business model uh, so for example, if you were a seed stage startup that had six months of cash, you don't have the luxury of focusing on purely building brand around your unique value prop and your story and your differentiator. If you're a mature business that has, you know, 400 million in ARR and you're up against multiple legacy incumbents and people are starting to, you're having a market that's growing 30, 40% year over year, right? Similar to Nextiva. One of the most important things you can do is position why your brand can become your moat and how people should 
see and think about you and how you want them to connect with you. So again, it all depends on your situation. And I think that's the most fascinating part about marketing is everything's about trade-offs. My favorite triangle that I always bring in is marketing is like real estate. If you have this triangle, you have to pick of your three and how you balance. You have price, location, and square footage. And I think this is a really interesting matrix and sort of principle you can bring when you're looking at brand demand gen, how you balance where you are. It's about your priorities, like at the company level, it's about cash and how you can actually opt the OPEX out of the business. And then it's about the force multiplier and what you can drive in the future. So again, it's another, it depends half answer, but it really sure. does depend. And I don't want someone taking this saying, Hey, you know, I'm a seed stage startup. I should focus <laughs> on building a brand for two years. So right. again, let me know if you want to go deeper, but that's, that's my dick. No. Yeah. I, that's great. Um, so how have you, so, you know, three months in, you're putting this together. How do you think about this? Like, where do you start? Do you, is there an existing sort of positioning statement that drives the brand narrative? Are you creating that from scratch? How are you thinking about the roles that you need for this? Like for someone who's listening that maybe does have a bit more runway, they're not needing to like show immediate ROI on this in order to like you know, extend runway or whatever, and they want to try and build a media arm or they're agreeing with what you're saying here. How are, can you walk through like a 30,000 foot overview of like, when you come into Nextiva, how are you rolling this out? Yeah. So the first thing that I did, and even before I accepted the role was I went and ran competitive intelligence. So I actually went and talked to the sales team, the CS team, and any team that I could talk to across our top eight competitors. And I wanted to see what that experience was like, both in terms of understanding the market, but like the brand experience, how they were talking, how they were positioning themselves, their talk tracks, all of that stuff. And from there, I realized one of the most important things that you can do as a marketer is to find your white space. And I think too many marketers, especially as they're coming into a company, um, they don't take enough time to focus on where they should be focusing. So some come in, they say, I got to get quick wins, 30, 60, 90. Here's what I'm going to do. That's great. Definitely do that. I'm doing that today. You know, I have the three things that I know that I can drive in the first 30, the five things in 60, and the 10 things in 90. But Front probably was one of the best brands that have done this. And I'm actually doing an event with their, with their CMO, Anthony, um, later this week in, in Austin. But you can actually Google it's public, Front Series C deck, and we can put it in the show notes. What Front did was they mapped a really simple matrix, X and Y matrix, just a grid. And the way that they built it out was they mapped all of the potential use cases for email technology, recruiters, HR, you know, like, but 10 or 20 on that grid. And they had needs complex workflow, doesn't need a complex workflow. Then they had relies on email, doesn't rely on email. And what they were able to do was they figured out Front's white space People who rely on email that have a complicated workflow are not being served based on the technology that exists. And that's one level. Again, it's functional, right? It's understanding the jobs to be done in the market. I like to take things two and three steps further, which is when you understand your landscape, you then say, okay, of the players that are in this space, in the category, how are they showing up? And another great resource, if you're new to this space, is the Google Ventures design sprint model. You can do it in three hours. We can put the link in the show notes. And it helps you look at almost like personality sliders for each of the brands. So helps you understand the competitive landscape. And then what I do is I layer three things together. The one is I look at the brands in the space and how they exist. 
I start to look at what they stand for, how they position themselves, how they're starting to think about their brand moat. And I layer in the jobs to be done matrix framework that Front did for white space. I then layer in how the competitors are showing up, mature, classic, innovative, think like Silicon Valley, move fast, break things versus the faceless corporation that's been around for 30 years, right? Like very, very different in terms of how they show up from a brand perspective, what they stand for, their unique value prop. And when you do a lot of the due diligence of like speaking to their sales team, speaking to support, seeing how they position, you can figure the stuff out. The third thing that I do is then I look at what is like the big bet that they're making right now? What is the big bet, right? And typically you can find this out if you look at their press releases, their arcs, how they're thinking about their founder strategy, if they have a founder who's in the business, what they're talking about on social, how they're prioritizing, like so many ways you can figure this out. But these three, and again, we can always show some examples later, really simple grids, really simple. You layer them together and you say, hey, here's what I believe our white space is for the brand. So in this case, I have a, like a full mirror board. I love mirror for this. I have it all mapped out with sort of some of the research, the details. And I say, here's what I believe to be the force multiplier that will take Nextiva from where it is today to a multi-billion dollar company. Here's how we build our brand moat. Here's how we lean into our white space. And here's how we not only solve some of the jobs to be done in the same way that Front did, but how we can win this category and position ourselves as different and not better. So I know it's harder without the visuals, but that's probably one of the most important things to do. The second thing is then start to think about the core pillars of where you're going to focus. So when I talk about media or media arm, if you ask 20, 30, 50 people, marketers in a room, I guarantee you, you probably will get maybe one or two of the same definitions, but the other 30 to 40 will be different. I think the same is true for growth or demand gen. So there are four pillars that I like to think about as like really key when you're building a media arm. And this is something that if you're not thinking about this today, would highly recommend. One is going to be the media arm around your company. So anything from your social for the company, podcast, newsletter, your content distribution engines that exist for like search or existing demand capture, not talking about those here, demand creation. What are the vehicles that you can use, partner channels, affiliates, and so forth, but like company and the company brand is one pillar. The second one that I think too few late stage companies think about is founder brand. So one of the most powerful things you can do as a differentiator, and um, you know, my my ex-wife, she led product marketing at FreshBooks for a long time. And when they were up against Zero and QuickBooks, Mike, their CEO, was one of the force multipliers for FreshBooks because his visibility and his executive presence could help them tell the story of what differentiated FreshBooks, right? They were focused on the Fortune 5 million, not the Fortune 500, and it helped them gain significant market share. So focusing on your founder brand even if it's your executive leadership in the business, if the founder isn't there. The third is external media arms. So if you look at companies like HubSpot or ProfitWell, who was acquired by Paddle, HubSpot, who bought the Hustle newsletter from Sam Parr, building an external or external media arms in your space give you almost full creativity and carte blanche to do anything you want without some of the ramifications around your brand. And I think the smartest people in media today are starting to build those separate from their actual company with a separate P&L, a brand strategy that lines up, and a really smart integration plan of how you can over time fold your company into the mix. 
Huge shout out to my friend Tyler Lessard for what he's done with sales feed at Vidyard. It's one of the fastest growing B2B TikTok accounts in the sales space. They took it from zero to 100,000 in a few months. I started to do the same on LinkedIn. The last one, and then we'll, we'll carry off into the operating rhythm and some of the tactical stuff, is your brand moat. So when you look at companies, and I'll give you a few examples. Um, for those of you that are familiar with Shopify, Shopify was going up against WooCommerce, a number of players in the market, but they created a grassroots meetup motion where they started to create physical in-person gatherings for people in the e-com space, small businesses who are building direct-to-consumer models, and they began to facilitate this massive ecosystem of connecting people, solving the same pain points. That became one of the brand moats that helped them build to where they are today. Another really good example is Virgin Mobile. So Virgin Mobile, if you don't know, is a phone provider, Richard Branson, if you know the Virgin brand, and they packaged up for new people entering the workforce or teenagers in high school, discounts, benefits, and exclusive access to the stuff they cared about. Think clothing, experience, travel, movies, and you had to be a member in Virgin Mobile to get access to this. And it was one of the ways that they build a brand moat to have people become Virgin members rather than Fido, AT&T, Bell, Rogers. I'm, I'm Canadian, so I'm listing off brands that, that <laughs> folks might not know, um, you know, T-Mobile. So those are the four pillars within media that I really think about. And there's so much more to go deeper on, but the TLDR here, 30 second rundown is focus on building your white space, layer the maps, not only functional, but in terms of brand strategy of where the competitive landscape is, align it to your founder brand, your future state, and how you can diversify your business. And think about these four pillars of media, trying to tie back to how you can build a brand moat, because people can copy what you do. Like if I gave someone the formula for Kentucky Fried Chicken, they're still not going to out Kentucky Fried Chicken KFC. Right. This is the thing that can become your moat that differentiates your brand, your position, and can't be replicated. So I know that's a long answer because there's a lot to unpack, uh, but hopefully there's some tactical stuff that y'all can take away from that. Hey, just a quick interruption. In past episodes, you've heard guests give advice like, the first step is just like actually measuring and monitoring, right? Which sounds very fundamental, but a lot of companies don't even do that, right? If you ask for like, hey, do you have a monthly kind of report of like what's happening in the funnel? It's like, oh, well, we have this over here and we have this over here and we have the traffic data and GA. So the first thing I think is like build out, you know, a presentation uh, that you're updating every single month. Or it's way easier if you have all this stuff being centralized somewhere and can look at it. And I promise that's completely unprompted. We try to book smart B2B leaders and learn how they're driving more predictable growth, and they end up sharing advice like that. And Databox makes it easy to do all of that and more. You can track your marketing, sales, revenue, and CS performance all in one place. It lets you build custom dashboards and view metrics from over 80 tools side by side. You can schedule PDF reports that automatically update your data in real time and send to your team or your clients. You can even set up custom Slack alerts that alert you when you hit your goals or when numbers spike or dip. If you want to try it totally free, just go to databox.com or click the link in the show notes. Okay, back to the episode. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. This this is awesome. Um, as far as the way that you're approaching this at Nextiva, 
I'm curious, typically like in B2B, right? We talk about like your positioning statement of like, this is our differentiation. This is the value proposition or the pains that we solve. This is like the two or three go-to-market messages that we take to articulate this. Is that, should that be set by product marketing or is that set by someone like you, like more in the brand's like side of things? Um, and, or like, is it a hand-in-hand operation? Like, how do you figure that out? Yeah, so I mean, um, again, uh, shout out to Tamara again. Um, Tamara Graminski, if those of you that don't follow her, would highly recommend checking her out on LinkedIn. Uh, she's been the chief strategy officer at Unbounce. She's currently leading product marketing at Kajabi, led product marketing at, at FreshBooks. Again, we were together and married for many years. We're still great friends. And I've been fortunate enough to live in a household where I, brand media marketer, had a chance to learn from her, You know, one of the best product marketers in the industry. And the answer is, it's a partnership. What you need to do is work with your executive team, your founders, to some degree, even your board, product marketing, brand team, your media team, and really think about not only where you are today, but where's the category moving, right? There's so much nuance that goes into strategic narrative and category strategy. Because it's such a complex topic, I'm going to give you my favorite person that you can go follow. So Andy Raskin, if you don't follow Andy Raskin, would highly recommend go follow Tamara Gaminsky and Andy Raskin on LinkedIn. They go really deep on strategic narrative and category creation. But again, short answer is it's a partnership. And in a similar vein to everything I talked about, about your white space map and how you can build that brand moat, your category strategy and how you build your strategic narrative together to position not only what you're doing now with your product launch strategy, your brand, your values, everything that you're investing in, it's all aligned to the future state of what you want to be known for. People don't remember what they what, what you say. They're going to remember how you make them feel. And that's like the one line that I like to just reinforce over and over when people think about like category and like what you stand for. When someone's in an elevator and they go, next evil, like what are they about? Right. That's like the five second answer, the one sentence. What people say in that moment is most likely going to be your pulse check of like where you are in the market. So you might want to be known for the omni channel, 360 degree marketing everywhere platform. But if people don't understand where that fits into what they know, it's not going to work. And if your story is not emotional enough, it doesn't tie to the social and emotional pain points, it's not going to win. And this is one of the reasons why companies like Marketo succeeded because they took something that was known, right? Marketing, automation. And there's a really cool model of putting like known versus new together. So you can piggyback on something where people feel like they have a baseline of, of what you're doing. Again, that's a whole nother episode for a different day, but follow those people. They'll give you a much better answer than me on this. Awesome. Love it. We will. And we'll link to them uh, in the show notes. If you're looking, just click the link in the show notes in your podcast app. Um, okay. Let's get into, let's land here, the new operating rhythm you're setting up for the marketing team at Nextiva. So walk me through, um, yeah, what are, what, are, what are some of these things that you're implementing when, when you came into the team? Yes. So I'm a big believer that communication and the operating rhythm of your department, your pods, and the company is the secret sauce that will make or break the growth of any business. You look at a team that knows each other, that can operate almost like predicting what you need. Those are the teams that are making magic happen. So the first thing that I do, any company that joined in the first week is I audit where we live, how we work together, everything from communication to project management to like the latency of turnaround, how we look at supporting cross-functional organizations, 
And you can really quickly within one week get a sense of, is this team in Jira and this team is in Asana and they can't collaborate and it takes five days to get anything done and you see blockers happening and things aren't moving quickly. A lot of that, but the most important thing that you want to do is you want to set something that's simple enough to not be a make work situation. One of the things that I see marketers do in general and trying to bring this back to metrics, I'm a big believer that you should not measure everything in marketing. I'm also a big believer that you should not over-operationalize your team. Marketing, and this is a great quote from our founder over at um, Nextiva, Thomas Gorney. We recommend following him if you want to learn more about his story going from you know zero to millions, back to zero, and now back to where we are today. You need a combination of Navy SEALs and pirates in your organization, right? The Navy SEALs are the structured, tactical operators that keep things moving forward. Like I'm talking like a line to the Navy master clock at the stroke of seven, 0800, right. we're doing X. And pirates are the creative visionary left brain thinkers that are going to come up with the 10 and 100 X ideas. And when you bring an over-operationalized framework to your team, you end up having Navy SEALs who are excited and hyped and love it, but then you end up alienating the pirates who are just as important. So my recommendation is simple, not a make work situation, aligns to how the business is operating today and should provide three key things. One is visibility across your team and department. Two is that visibility cascading down to the entire business. So everyone has a sense of what your priorities are, what the status of that is, and how those ladder up to the company objectives. And three, how they can interact with you. What are the metrics? How are we pacing? All those things. So the way that I do it, and I'll break down exactly what we're doing at Nextiva. Um, I'm a huge fan of two things on Monday morning. One is something called our team kickoff. So within the department, within your pods, within your units, there's like different types of these. And it's kind of like Russian nesting dolls. I like to do one at the department level. I like to do one at the pod level. And then I have the teams do their own and their own standups. But I'm just going to talk about the department level to keep things simple for now. In this case, our growth marketing team come together every Monday. And we have a really simple 25-minute agenda. Inside our comms platform, we share the top three to five things. So the pod leader which within each pod, so let's say our design leader, shares only the top three to five things that would make this week outstanding. You may have 20, 30, 40 things going on, but it forces people to say, if this week we only accomplished three things, what would make this week amazing? So very, very simply, in less than 60 seconds, everyone in a thread will put that pod leader, those three to five bullets, They'll have a video up to two minutes long max with an explanation around it. And then we'll meet and go through and flag cross-functional support areas, blockers, where we're focused, and just build visibility around what our pods are doing. Okay. At the end of the week, our Friday counterpoint is our end of week wrap up. So again, department gets back together. Everyone in that same thread adds a color emoji, red, yellow, green, to those priorities around how they paced, any notes around wins, opportunities, learnings, and blockers. And again, okay. we meet at the end of the team and we celebrate those wins. We call it those learnings and opportunities and we flag and make sure that we have a clear plan of attack to unblock dependencies, roadblocks, whatever it may be. And this is like the simplest framework that you can have where it takes less than three minutes for one pod leader, might be a team of 10, to share where they're focused. And this comes to the second piece. Beyond the kickoff of the team, we have something called Monday metrics. And we're literally building this up today, which is 
Here is the simple, I'm not talking like the 80 tab Excel document or the massive, you know, spreadsheet that you showed at the board of like cohort analysis. What are the top metrics that you are focused on? And how do your priorities for that week line up to those metrics? If you can't explain it in less than 30 seconds of what your North Star is, what matters to you and what you're focused on, your planned versus your actual and how we're pacing towards goal, it's not simple enough. One of the biggest things that I think from a metrics perspective, marketers do wrong, and I alluded to this earlier, they try to measure everything. They try to make it way too complicated. And you end up having a team that's frustrated because they spend two hours building slide decks and things for the board or team, but it's not actionable. So that's why my philosophy is if you can't do it in three minutes, can't explain it in 60 seconds, we don't do it. And there's a lot sort of you know in between this rhythm. Um, the last thing I'll say on the operating rhythm is if you don't have a charter, for your team, for your department, for your pods, build a charter. And what I mean by a charter is what are the principles that we operate by, that we live by, that matter? How does that cascade into our metrics? How do we make decisions? If we're stuck at an impasse, how do we follow the charter that says we prioritize A and B, we show up like X, we believe in Y, right? We let our creativity do our heavy lifting, not our budget right? Things like that, that get people thinking about how you operate. And it becomes really, really easy for us to, because you may have team members be like, how do I take 40 things and make it my top three? You go, well, what are our five company initiatives? What are the three things we're focusing on this quarter for marketing? How does what you're doing move that needle? What are those metrics? How can you, and you get people thinking about that with the mix of operating rhythm, charter. And by all means, like we still have Asana, we have our project management, we have everything in Jira, like there's the deep version, but everyone on a weekly basis should be able to tell you in grade seven language, what they're doing, where they're focusing and how you can see their pace and what matters to the company. And that's like the hundred thousand foot level of what I'd recommend you do. And you roll it out department, pod, and then within that, within your organizational groups. And there's a lot of like nuance and like different ways that we handle different types of projects, initiatives and so forth. But bringing it back to metrics, that's like the lifeblood of startup culture that I think a lot of enterprise businesses lose sight on. And it's like one of the most important things that we're focused on, you know, getting right in Nextiva so that we have visibility, speed, and like a clear charter of how we make decisions. Yeah, I love that. The uh, metrics that they are looking at, like the handful of really simple ones, are these metrics that are, are they indicators that ideally, like you're not trying to maybe influence directly like goals, you're just hoping they trend up into the right and you want to be doing activities, that team wants to be doing activities that ideally move them or are these goals set for them? Like this is the goal we have this quarter and this is how we're trending toward it. So this is where things get broken down into a few different layers. I We have, and again, we're implementing this at Next Eva, we have different lead level meetings with all of our go-to-market leaders, where we have much more full funnel metrics that we look at our goalposts for department and cross-functional department goals. Like, hey, here's our bookings goal. Here's our expansion goal. Here's how all the departments are coming together to work on that. Within the operating rhythm of like the marketing team, I have a mix of these. Some teams tend to use their core target of saying, hey, we want to drive X amount and qualified pipe, right? And then you have a blend of lagging and leading indicators. But I have some teams, a design team, right? What matters to the design team? What are the metrics that they're looking at? Well, what is our time from turnaround from creative brief to execution? 
right? What is our time from idea to first delivery, second delivery in A, B, and C across departments? Like you can start to get creative around like what matters. And if you're looking back to like your charter and how you operate, if speed is a primary value prop that you have, but it takes seven weeks to stand up a landing page, right? You can clearly see that there is a delay in a bottleneck, which is impeding the ability of other teams to be able to execute. So you might say, hey, I'm seeing that this has been red for a few weeks here. What's happening? How do we unblock? So, oh, well, there's eight different systems and procurements involved and people don't have a simplified creative brief that's the same. And you can kind of like go in and, and figure things out. So my recommendation is a metric should always help you to evaluate behavior and drive change. If a metric is useful, it helps you improve going forward understand the current scenario and make your team's life easier where they can execute and be their best selves. A metric is not useful if it's just a vanity metric that doesn't drive meaningful action or insight. And I think a lot of people get stuck up on, oh, hey, we can track this thing that looks really good for the board, but like it doesn't, if it doesn't do anything for you, stop looking at it. Hmm. And are these the metrics that you're sharing when you said you go a level uh, wider than to the rest of the company? So they're aware of what marketing is doing. Um, is this like these handful of core metrics or does the team boil it down even simpler than to, when you're sharing with the rest of the company? Like, are you letting them know like, hey, everyone, this is what marketing's working on this week? Or like, these are the three metrics that we're trending in the right direction on? Or like, when you think about sharing with the rest of the company, what's your advice on sort of how narrow or how wide to go there to keep it actionable. And I know internal marketing is super crucial, right? Because people yes. want to know what marketing is doing and you want them bought in and you want them to understand. So how do you think about, about uh, communicating that to the yeah. team at large? I'll talk about something called the Pulse at Nextiva that we're launching. And there's three layers to this. So first layer is I'm a big fan of simplicity. If you can't have a one-page Excel doc that has your company vision, for three years, all of your core company level metrics, your five strategic initiatives and the supporting metrics for each of them, actual versus planned, how you're pacing, and then criteria, some of the details. But like I'm talking one Google sheet, probably too complicated. I've hmm. seen so many 80, 150 page strategy docs and metrics and dashboards that don't get used because one, you can't trust the data because it's too complicated to pull, too many dependencies, too many things changing. So I have what's called like the executive TLDR and it's targeted for a board member, a new board member that just came on. How do you give someone who's a new board member, doesn't have all the company context, a snapshot of what matters to your business and how you're pacing? So that's number one. That is something that you really need to think about as a marketer to make sure that you have executive buy-in, clarity, simplicity. Second thing is going to be more of the senior leadership on the team. Of all the cross-functional teams where you know marketing is supporting sales, customer success, life cycle, all of these things, how do you give them the insights that they need and be able to flag, hey, what we're seeing is that you know we have X time to follow up on a ticket in chat right now. Having all these leads that are coming in, but if we don't get to them in the first 30 seconds, here's all the stuff that's happening. So you can identify the opportunities, the blockers, how we partner. Those can be like a level deeper and they should be designed less for like level setting at the 100,000 foot and more for driving prioritization, action, and like flagging opportunities. The level deeper beyond that is your team and your department. So one of the most important things as a marketer, and I think just as a business leader, you need to get everyone in your business waking up every day and every week 
thinking about what are the three to five most important things that I need to be doing today? And how do they ladder up to the collective goal of what we're doing? I've seen so many teams and departments who are sprinting 100 miles an hour, but they're all going 7 to 15% in a different direction. And they're not thinking about, oh, I've got to execute these 15 things. I always go, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you have 15 things that are on your plate today, you're probably not focused enough. And that's one thing that I didn't talk about on their operating rhythm. And I'll come back to, to the original question. I'm a big believer in deep work. So one of the principles that we've implemented at Nextiva, and I'd highly recommend anyone who's in a meeting heavy culture, and it's part of our charter. Could this have been an email? Could this have been an internal message in Slack or Teams or your communication hub, right? Could you have shared this in a brief before you get together? So instead of talking about the context, you can talk about your ideas and your opportunities. So that's number one. There's a lot you can change to make sure that your teams are actually using time together productively. But the biggest thing is block time for deep work. So on Wednesdays, I'm a big believer in no meeting Wednesdays. Internally, do not meet with your team. Dedicate this for heads down work. And I'm the same for Friday morning. So you can get everything you need ready Wednesday and Friday. But coming back to what we do, um, your team level metrics should be simple and easy to consume for non-technical roles. Designers may not understand the nuance and complexity of demand generation, right? Right. Paid marketers may not understand the nuance of technical SEO and some of the work that they're doing there. Um, the engineers on your dev team may not understand the creative side of design and why that matters. So it needs to be like a grade seven level so that it's easy to understand. And those are the ways that I ladder up. The last piece of your question was like, how do you communicate it? Um, you communicate each of these based on the level and the medium that makes the most sense. So for the executive team, an email and a dashboard tends to be one of the best ways to do it. You probably have an email group that's like executive leadership team, right? Senior leadership team, same thing, an email thread or whatever communication hub you use. In this case, you know, Nextiva, Slack, Teams. Have a channel, share that information and do it like ruthlessly consistent. Do this week over week consistently and it starts to get people excited when they can see trended data and what matters. Within your team, use the hub that you operate in day to day. So if it's Teams, Slack, again, whatever it is, have that live in a channel, pin that in the thread, have people share it. Again, you can have a dashboard, you can have whatever you're using to track your metrics, but those are the different ways. And then for the entire company, I'm a huge fan in having every department follow the same cadence. So we have something at Nextiva that used to be called the Pulse, which was, hey, here's the key wins, learnings, opportunities, and metrics from where the marketing team are focused this week. Right. And it's meant for the entire company. So it's not ELT, it's not SLT, it's not team. It's how do we package this up so that anyone from a BDR in our Guadalajara team to a sales engineer in Arizona to, you know, like our uh, chief people officer, right, will understand where we're focused. So it's the simplest version boiled down to like the one or two sentences with the simplest metric to understand here's where we're focusing. Here's where we've won. Here's the opportunities and warnings. And here's where we need help from you. I love it. This has been an incredible episode. I feel like there's so much actionable stuff uh, for listeners to unpack. We'll obviously, you know, work our hardest to break it all down on LinkedIn and summarize it for people. Um, where can people follow along with you if they want to keep consuming thoughts like this? I know you're active on LinkedIn a lot. Is there anywhere else you want them to follow along? Follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter. I had a, uh, I took a, a brief hiatus from LinkedIn while I was traveling, 
but uh, my my content engine is kicking back off in official force next <laughs> week. So you can expect one post at minimum from me every day on all the ramblings, brand, media, strategy, and uh, yeah, cold brew and the like. So if you love food and you love marketing, give me a follow on LinkedIn and send me a connect. Let me know what you thought of the episode and give me a follow on Twitter. We'll be building that out in the weeks to come. But uh, this has been... Look at that, the, the alarm to wrap up the app. This has been really fun, Jeremiah. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, excited to connect with you all. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.